Awesome. Thank you so much uh, for being here and leading us in worship. And thank you guys for being here at church this morning. Uh, welcome to Living Hope Church. Uh, if your children are just going down for a children's church or nursery, they can dismiss out the back with Miss Melody. Uh, if your kids are staying with us, there's activities on that back table. They are free to grab and take back their seat. There's also a sermon notes uh, designed for them with a little bingo game they can play um, along with the sermon. Uh, so today we are once again continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, last week we began our journey into the final chapter and the final sections of the Sermon on the Mount. And as we have walked our way through this, we have been challenged, we have been uh, called to deeper faith, we have been called to evaluate our hearts, we have been reminded of the salvation we have, and we've been reminded of how good and loving our God is. And Jesus, being the master communicator he is, has challenged us in some deep ways, and in the, the midst of the sermon, he has been faithful to remind us of who our God is and who we are in him. And today we come to one of those sections of the Sermon on the Mount that is a sweet reminder of not only who God is, but who we are as his child. It's a reminder that God is good, he is a loving God, that he loves us personally, that he provides for us, that he wants good for us as a parent desires for their child. Right, this section of scripture today we're going to look at is like a, a cool glass of lemonade after a challenging day of work in the summer sun. It's a section of scripture that refreshes our soul and encourages us in the midst of challenge. Today, Jesus is going to remind us of who our Heavenly Father is, and he's going to remind us of the way he relates with us. So we're in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 7 through 12. And in this, Jesus is going to remind us of who God is and how we are to pray to him. So we're Matthew 7, starting in verse 7, reading through verse 12. Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we just thank you for the chance to gather, and we thank you for the chance to study your word. Uh, God, I pray that you would just uh, use your word to speak to us today, Lord, that you would uh, call us to deeper faith, that you would uh, reveal areas where maybe we are not following you, Lord, uh, God, and that you would um, just help us to fall more in love with you and to be uh, better disciples and follow you. God, we love you. And we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. So as we talked about, the Sermon on the Mount was, was uh, primarily directed towards followers. And he opens up this section with an instruction to us that are followers of Jesus. And that instruction is to ask so that it will get, be given, to seek so that we can be found, and to knock so that the door may be opened. If we want to hear from God, if we want to be a part of his plans, if we want him to answer our prayers, then Jesus says we must first ask. And the promise is that if we ask, God hears and God answers. This is one of the most mind-blowing things about our relationship with God. Jesus says if we ask, the God of the universe, he hears our prayers, he values our prayers, and he answers our prayers. In pop culture and even in life, we often hear people say that God has bigger things to deal with than my prayers, or he is too busy for me. But Jesus tells us quite the opposite. God not only hears our prayers, but he answers our prayers, and he longs for us to commune and to talk to him. In John 16, 24, Jesus says, Jesus says, ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Jesus says, if you want to know joy and experience joy, talk with the God of the universe that loves you and cares for you and hears your prayers. That's absolutely just incredible. So Jesus tells us as his followers to ask and the promise is that God hears. 
And Jesus tells us to ask three different ways in three increasingly persistent ways. Ask, seek, knock. Now asking is simply expressing, sharing your need with God. Ask and you will receive. Seek, that intensifies the process. It is in a determined thing. We seek for something when we don't know where it is. Seeking is focused and it is intense. I love to play golf. It's golf season right now. Uh, but when I'm playing golf, I am really good at missing fairways. Uh, and there are times when I hit an old ball on the golf course, and I will just kind of glance in the tall grass for that ball. But there are other times that I lose a ball that was a little more expensive, or it's a ball that was special my kids gave to me, and I will seek for that ball. And when that's the case, I don't just glance, but I seek. I seek, and I comb through that tall grass looking for the ball with intentionality, with purpose, with determination. And Jesus is saying we are to seek God in that way. And when we seek God, we do that by spending time, by seeking God in prayer and in his word. Seeking is a process. It doesn't happen all at once. It's purposeful and intentional. And then lastly, we get the word knock, which intensifies the process even further. Seeking implies you haven't found something yet. Knocking implies it has been shut off from you. The door is closed and you are requesting a way forward. In life, when you don't know the way forward, when you don't know what to do, Jesus says, knock, request, ask God to open the door and make a way forward. I love how Ray Fowler summed this up. He said, asking in prayer happens when you know what you need and you present your request to God. Seeking in prayer happens when you don't know what you need. You don't know the answer, and so you seek God in prayer. Knocking happens when there's a closed door in your life that you cannot open, and so you turn to God in prayer. So we are to ask, to seek, to knock, and talk to God in prayer. So what are we to pray for, and how are we to pray? As we said, uh, Jesus has already taught on prayer. We studied prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, we get the model prayer, and we walk through that. So we are to pray in that manner. In chapter 5, Jesus gave us the Beatitudes, and he taught us what are those things that are most important to God and are, most prized, uh, are to be most prized to us. Those are the things we are to pray for. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So when we pray, we are to seek God and his kingdom, trusting that God will provide everything else we need. Prayer is not just a, a blank check to pray selfishly to a genie for whatever you want. In the book of James, James 4, uh, 2 through 3, James writes, You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And so as we pray, we pray for God's kingdom. We pray for God's will to be done and accomplished in our lives and in the world around us. And Jesus says that is the ultimate good for us when the kingdom of God is accomplished in our lives and it's evidenced in the Beatitudes. But there's no limitation to that which we can pray and bring before our Heavenly Father. We aren't just to bring the big things, but we are to bring Him all things as we seek to follow God in all areas of our lives. And this picture of a father is so beautiful and so important. I think about myself as a father. I love when my kids come and talk to me. I love when they come and talk to me about the big things in their lives, but I also love to hear about their interests, about their days, about their troubles, about their fears, about their wants. I love my children, so I want to hear about all that they have to tell me. And I love to speak into their lives, my love and my experience. In the same way, God doesn't desire that we just check in every couple of years when we have a big decision to make. But he wants to be a part of all aspects of our lives. So we are to bring our daily worries, our, our daily fears, our triumphs, our life, our friends, our neighbors, our workday to him. And seek his wisdom and his kingdom in it all. And so, Jesus, we are to ask, and the promise is God will answer. And that's our first point today. As followers, we are to ask, seek, and knock. 
And when we do, God hears and he answers. Verse 7 is amazing. That's kind of what we talked about. God wants us to ask, seek, and knock. But then in verse 8, Jesus repeats it with a promise that when we do, God answers and opens doors. Verse 8, Jesus says, For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. In these first two verses, that is six times that Jesus has promised us that God hears our prayers and he answers our prayers. Max Anders writes in his commentary, the emphasis is on the generosity and the faithfulness of the Father. God is able, God is faithful, God is generous. We are to bring our requests to the Father who loves us. One of the things I love about this verse is the emphasis on God's availability and willingness to answer the prayers of all of his followers. Now in verse 8, Jesus doesn't say when the spiritual, when the special, when the important ask they receive. But he says, for everyone who asks, receives. The invitation of prayer with the God of the universe is for everyone. As a pastor, there are times that people ask me to pray for them, and I, I love to pray for them. But there are sometimes that they will come and ask me to pray with this belief or this assumption that I have some sort of special access to God. And because of that, my prayers are more powerful. There are other faiths that, that teach that those with a title are the ones who can pray or their prayers are more important. But Jesus debunks both of those myths. He says all of his followers, every one of them have access to the God of the universe. And he hears and he answers their prayers. Everyone has access to the God of the universe. Everyone has access to the ability to read God's word, to know God's will for their life, and to pray and commune with the God of the universe. God loves you. He is for you. He is available to you and everyone else. And Jesus says when we pray, when we knock, he not only hears, but he opens the doors. He answers. To him who knocks, the door will be opened. This is true of our prayers. This is also true of, of salvation, we know. Salvation is a closed door that no one can open on their own. But we read in John 3.16, the most famous verse, most recited verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever, whoever, anyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 6.37, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. Whoever, he says, anyone, everyone, salvation, prayer to Jesus is open to all who come. And he has never turned anyone away. So what do verses 7 and 8 teach us about prayer? It teaches that God wants you to ask. It's okay to bring your request to him. He wants you to ask, to seek, and knock. In fact, you could probably translate verse 7 as keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. You might bother your neighbor or your friend if you keep on asking all the time, but not God. God wants you to ask. And I love this picture of opening the door and the, the relationship it reveals between us and God. To knock on someone's door takes commitment. It takes intention to go up and knock on the door. It takes a relationship for that door to be opened and to be invited in. I think about in my life, there are times that someone will knock on my door, and I'm not expecting someone to be knocking on my door. And so what I do is I go to the window and I kind of peek out and get a glimpse of the front porch. And if it's an obvious salesman or someone I don't know, I just kind of ignore that knocking. But if I peek out the window and I see a friend or I see my child or my wife, I run to that front door and I open it with excitement. That's the picture here. God doesn't hear us knocking and go, oh no, it's them again. But because he loves us, because he has a relationship with us, he goes and he opens the door. 
And so Jesus says our responsibility is to ask, to seek, to knock, and the promise is God answers. And as we saw earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, we are to seek the things of God and to pray for and seek God's will and his kingdom in all aspects of our lives. And then in verse 9, Jesus starts to give us this picture, this illustration of who God is and the kind of gifts God gives. Verse 9, Jesus says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So Jesus begins this illustration with this kind of crazy and over-the-top uh, statement. He says, as parents that love our children, who, when their child asks for something good, asks for something they needed, would give them something that would harm them. Right? If my child asks for lunch, I'm not going to give them a rock. If my child asks for juice or water, I'm not going to give them a cup of vinegar. If my child needs toothpaste on their toothbrush, I'm not going to cover it in Elmer's glue. So if we as parents, who Jesus says our hearts are sinful, would give our children good things, how much more will God give us, his children who ask good gifts? And so the first thing we see in this illustration is that God only gives good gifts. God doesn't give us bad gifts, but only good gifts. So we have said that God hears our prayers, God answers our prayers, and he only gives us good gifts. That being said, there are times, we know this, there are times that God doesn't answer our prayers the way we want. Or he doesn't give us what we want or what we need. So what do we do with that? Back in April of 2020, right in the, the, the middle of the chaos of that year, we walked through the book of Habakkuk. And in Habakkuk chapter 1, we saw Habakkuk pray. And it's one of my favorite passages on prayer and, and one of my favorite sermons we've ever preached on prayer. And in that, we saw these same points. We saw that God hears our prayers and he answers our prayers. And in that sermon in Habakkuk's prayer and God's response, we saw the three ways that God answers our prayers. Sometimes God answers our prayers with yes. Sometimes he answers our prayers with no. That's not what's best for you. And sometimes God says, wait, the timing isn't right. But within that, we can trust that God hears, he answers, and his answer is good. Because the reality is, the reality is there are times in our limited perspective, in our limited understanding, that we ask for the stone or we ask for the snake. And God in his love for us says no. I mean, just think about your life. What would your life look like if God said yes to every prayer you've ever prayed? Every one of us, we would be married to our third grade crush from elementary school. And for some of us, that might be all right. But with perspective, many of us, we see that wouldn't have been a good thing. If God answered every prayer, we would be entitled. We wouldn't have any faith in God. It would be all about us and our desires as opposed to his kingdom. I guarantee none of us would be where we are today. I know in my life, God has used no's, waits, and closed doors just as often to lead me to good as he has used yeses to my prayers. And the good God desires for us, we know this, the good God desires for us for our life is not safety. It's not comfort. It's not pleasure. It's not ease today, but what God desires for our life is for his kingdom to advance and for the characteristics found in the Beatitudes to become who we are. God desires for us to seek his kingdom. He desires for us to find our comfort in him. He desires for us to walk in humility. He desires for us to become more righteous. He desires for us to be more merciful. He desires for us to walk in purity, to be peacemakers. He desires for us to be more like him. God answers our prayers, and he gives us good gifts, which lead us to be more like him. So we see in this illustration that God gives good gifts. We also see that God gives good gifts because he is good. Verse 11, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We, we are all sinners by nature. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But our God, on the other hand, he is holy. He is without sin. He is good. And so we can trust our lives and our prayers to him because of who he is and because he cares for us and is as a good and loving father. So that's our next point. God is holy, he is good, and he cares for us. Jesus says if that's how human fathers treat their children, they give good gifts, then how much more will God give good gifts to those who ask him? And the key words here are how much more. If human fathers are sinful and still give good gifts to their children, then how much more will God do so? Because God isn't sinful. God is perfect. He is loving. He is righteous. And if our sinfulness doesn't give in, get in the way of us giving good gifts to our children, then how much more will God who is perfect, who is loving and righteous, give good gifts to those who ask him? We can approach and ask with confidence that God will give to us what is good, what is right, what is loving, because that's just who God is. And then secondly, we see in here that God is your heavenly Father. We walked through this a few months ago. We talked about what it means to be God's child and what that means for our lives. You are a precious child, and he loves you. He will not leave you knocking at the door, but he runs to the door and opens it for you because he loves and cares for you. Anders writes, I have come across several people who have a deeply rooted impression of God as a trickster. They view him as a loving cosmic killjoy, as a kind of cosmic killjoy with a warped sense of humor. To them, God lives only to bring them some kind of grief, usually after stringing them along and lulling them into a sense of security. But Jesus here and in the Sermon on the Mount goes to great lengths to change people's picture of God as our Father. God is free of sin. He is good. He cares for us as a father cares for their child. He is approachable. So Jesus says, ask, seek, knock, and God will answer and give to us what is good, what is edifying, what is kingdom pleasing, and he will develop in us a righteous heart. Psalm 3410 says, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. As Thomas Watson in his book, All Things Good, writes, if it is good for us, we shall have it. If it is not good for us, then the withholding of it is good. We are to pray, we are to ask, to seek, to knock, and we can trust that God knows the difference between our wise and our foolish requests. I like that description, and I am thankful for that description. Because I know I often have foolish requests, but I can trust them to God. God gives good things to his children. He is full of wisdom and love. So don't be afraid of what God will do if you start asking. He is good and he is faithful. And so we get this context of prayer and who God is. And then from that, we get to verse 12. And verse 12 is the w- very well known to us. It's what uh, we call today the golden rule. Jesus says in verse 12, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Golden rule is one of the most familiar verses in the Bible, uh, both in the church and in our culture, and yet we are not great at applying it. And so as we conclude this section of Scripture, we're going to do so by examining and unpacking this gem of a command that Jesus has given us for living out our lives. First of all, I don't think it's insignificant that this follows Jesus' teaching on prayer. Throughout Jesus' teaching, he doesn't call us to do anything he has not already done for us. And in the same way, Jesus here is calling us to emulate our Heavenly Father who is generous and good to us. We have seen that God is generous in answering our prayers, so we should be generous to others in our love for them. 
Just as God gives us good things in answer to prayer, so we should do good things to others as we have the opportunity. We as followers of Jesus, this is significant, we as followers of Jesus don't determine how we treat others by how they treat us, but rather we determine how we treat others by how God has treated us. Others are not the model for how we are to live. Others are not the standard to which we live by. But Jesus says God is our model and God is the standard to which we strive to emulate. The golden rule found in verse 12 is so great because it applies to every situation in our life. Bishop Ryle wrote, it settles a hundred difficult points. It prevents the necessity of laying down endless little rules for our conduct in specific areas. Jesus tells you simply to put yourself in the other's place and ask yourself, how would I like to be treated in this situation? If you messed up at something, would you like to be yelled at? If not, then don't yell at people. If you're engaging in a business transaction, would you like to be cheated? If not, then don't cheat other people. If you've hurt someone badly, would you like to be forgiven? If so, then forgive others when they hurt you. If you do something foolish, would you like to be mocked and ridiculed? If not, then don't do it. Jesus says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. And that's, that's our final point. It is simply the golden rule itself. In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. And so as we wrap up with this point, let me draw out some really important implications for our life from the golden rule. First of all, I love that Jesus states the golden rule in the positive. Whatever you would want someone to do for you, then go and do it. Other religions and cultures and teaching, they have a similar teaching, but most of them teach it in the negative. For example, Rabbi Hillel had a saying. It said, what is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow creatures. That is the whole law, all else is explanation. But when it's stated in the negative, it leaves you free to do nothing, to be inactive in your action towards others. If I just avoid that which is hateful, it frees me not to love others. It leaves me free to avoid others. It leaves me free to be indifferent towards others. It leaves me free to cut off and walk away from others. It leaves me free to hold a grudge to not forgive if I just keep it all in and don't act in a hateful manner. In the negative, if I am uninvolved, then I don't have to act. I just have to be concerned about me and not others. But in the positive, you and I as followers of Jesus, we are called to action. We are called to love our neighbor as ourselves because we would want to be loved. We are called to look out for the benefit of those around us because they, we would want them to look out for the benefit of us. We are called to pray for those around us. We are called to be concerned about those around us, about their well-being and about their souls, not just our own. Because if we didn't know Jesus, we would want someone to be praying for us and concerned about our soul. So as Christians, we are called to love and treat our neighbor as we would want to be treated. And that leads us to be a people who are proactive, a people of action. The second thing I want us to see is the context for this command. Jesus doesn't say to just practice this amongst your family. He doesn't say to just practice this amongst your friend group or at church or with people you like or in comfortable environments. You are to treat others as you would like to be treated, he says, in everything. In everything, in every situation, with every person, you are to treat others as you would want to be treated. Now, I am much better at this with the people that I love, with those that I know, with those that I care for, in situations where it might benefit me or my family. But I am not nearly as good at this when people, with people that drive me crazy, with people I don't know or when I know it's going to cost me. But Jesus doesn't say pick and choose. He says in everything, do to others as you would, have them want, as you would want them to do to you. 
when fitting in would mean joining the gossip circle. You don't because you wouldn't want them gossiping about you. When you have the time and volunteering at the school or sports, uh, sports field would benefit the community but puts you out of your comfort zone, you do it because you would hope someone else would serve you in that way. When the dishes need to be done, when the garbage needs to be taken out, when the laundry needs to be done, you do it because you would want your spouse or your child to serve you in that way. When you're driving through the constant road construction of Wyoming in the summer and the lanes are narrowing, there's always that one person who tries to pass everyone on the right and then cut in at the last second. If you were like me, every instinct in your body says, get up on the bumper in the car in front of you and do not let them in for any reason. But because Jesus has stated this in the positive and not the negative, you wave them in because you would want someone to do that for you. Right? That's a trivial example, but you fill in your situation, your relationship, that person that you struggle with, and you do for others what you would want them to do for you. And in that, Jesus says, if you follow this one command, you will fulfill all of the laws and the prophets. He says all of the Old Testament, all the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount can be lived out if you do just this one simple command. Now, of course, we can't live out this single command in every instance because we are sinful at our core. Right? Our core says get up on the bumper and don't let them in. But aren't we so thankful that God hasn't treated us in that manner? That he has treated us and he has done for us what we didn't deserve. Despite our sin, if he did not, if he did not, if he did what was best for him, he wouldn't have sent Jesus. But despite our sin, he did not what was best for him, but what's best for us when he sent Jesus to live the sinless life we couldn't live, to die the death we deserve so that we could be forgiven for our sins and so that we could one day spend eternity with him in heaven. God is good. God is generous. God is forgiving. God gives us good gifts. God has given us salvation. In response, we are called to treat others as God has treated us. I love this section of scripture because it reminds us of who God is. It reminds us of how he loves us and how he calls us to live our lives. It's so simple and yet at the same time so profound. The God of the universe hears our prayers. The God of the universe answers our prayers. And the God of the universe calls us to love others as he has loved us. It's so simple yet so profound. Next week, we are going to see Jesus call us to examine our hearts and our faith with, with one of the most troubling verses in the Bible for a pastor. But for today, we get to sit and we get to, to delight in who our God is and how he loves us. So as we begin at a time of response, as the worship team, they're going to come up and lead us in a final song. I think there's a few different places and responses or, or places where God could be calling us. First, you might be here and you might not uh, have yet trusted Jesus with your life. He said it right here, if you ask, if you seek, if you knock, he will open the door to salvation for you. The gospel, the hope of Jesus is that he made a way for you to be forgiven for your sins and for you to inherit eternal life. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but Jesus has paid the price and made a way for you to be forgiven. You simply have to repent. Uh, repent of your sin, ask for forgiveness and make him Lord of your life. And so if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus in your life, I would encourage you to settle that today. To ask your questions if you have questions. If you're ready to pray that prayer and settle uh, in your life who the Lord of your life will be. If you have questions, come and talk with me or talk to someone you know as a follower of Jesus. Then secondly, maybe you're here and you are a follower of Jesus. But there is likely something or someone that you need to turn over to God in prayer. Trusting that he hears, trusting that he answers, trusting that he only gives good gifts. So if that's you, would you take these next few moments as we pray and as we sing just to turn those things over to God?
And then be faithful this week to continue giving them to your heavenly Father that loves you in prayer. And lastly, we saw the golden rule. We saw the golden rule that we are called to treat others as we would want to be treated in everything. If you're like me, there's probably a relationship or a setting where you've been convicted where you are not treating others as you would want to be treated. If so, would you repent of that and would you turn it over to the Lord with a commitment to treat that person or that situation how you would want to be treated this week. So I'm going to pray for us. And after I pray, they're going to sing and uh, just give you a moment to reflect. Dear Lord, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you have not treated us as we deserve to be treated, but you have treated us with love and with grace and forgiveness. We thank you that you sent Jesus to die the death that we deserve so that we could have life in you. So God, I pray in these next few moments that you would just speak to us. God, that you would remind us of who we are as your child and who you are as our Heavenly Father. God, that we would be a people that ask and seek and knock and take our big concerns and our big worries to you, but also our daily trials and troubles. God, that we would trust that you are a God that hears and answers, that you are a God that leads us to good, to righteousness. So God, I pray that you would just call us to prayer. You would help us to be a people of prayer this week. And then, God, we thank you that, that you have treated us as you have treated us, Lord. And I pray that you would help us to treat those around us with the same love and grace and forgiveness you have shown us. God, if there's areas where we are uh, failing in relationships or failing in settings, Lord, would you reveal those areas today to us? Would you convict us, Lord, and would you lead us to be more like you? God, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for who you are, that you are good and that you are generous, that you care for us. God, I pray that you just speak to us in these next few moments. It's your name.